Thank you very much. Um, it's truly a pleasure to be here today, and particularly with such an august audience. Um, it's really interesting, as I've had the opportunity to look at some of your name tags, uh, I never saw so many outstanding and so many uh, overachievers, uh, all of which, as an academician, I was not able to achieve when I was your age. Um, my background and my orientation is frankly quite different from most of the people that you will hear from. I too have been to Kathmandu, and I too uh, would tell you that Nepal and, and the mountains are really fascinating, as Mr. Messner described. But in terms of kind of thinking about Kathmandu and thinking about having been there a few years ago, uh, I was sitting there and looking up at K2 and all those mountains and sitting around with a bunch of people, and somebody looked at me and they said, what do you do? And I looked at him and I said, I'm a professional opportunist. That's what I do. And I look at the world, and I don't have any rules. I don't have any restrictions. And I've also had something else. I've never had a job. Think about what that means. I've never had a job. We control uh, a public company called ITEL Corporation. ITEL has sales in excess of a billion dollars. And we spent the last couple of years resurrecting this company from a previous ownership and management period when the company went bankrupt. And I hired uh, a very, very competent, highly skilled individual to run the company on an ongoing basis. And we were involved in a transaction, and we had a chance to sit around and talk for a few minutes one day. And he looked at me and he said, Sam, he says, you don't understand what it is you do. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, I was the chief financial officer of one of the largest companies in North America. And the one thing that I knew every day was what I couldn't do. It was very clearly delineated what my limits were. And so I spent my day focusing within the much narrower parameter of what I could do. You and Bob, Bob being my partner, nobody's ever told you that you couldn't do anything. And therefore, when you deal with somebody like me, you just say, sure, if you want to do it, if you think it's right, if you can make your case, let's go do it. There ain't no rules. There ain't no regulations. If you're really good at what you do, uh, there are no limits to what you can achieve. People pick on me because I don't wear a suit to the office. I wear jeans to the office and I ride my motorcycle every day.
And they look at me and they say, well, how did you, I mean, how could you be successful if you didn't have a power tie and alligator shoes and an MBA? And I said, it's a very simple premise. If you're really good at what you do and you dress funny, you're eccentric. If you're not really good at what you do and you dress funny, you're a schmuck. So the only message that's relevant is to focus on who you are. You're an extraordinary group of kids. You have very high levels of intelligence, and clearly you're proven achievers. Success, as I define it, is the ability to look at the world and not build in any limitations. I want to share with you a story. About half an hour ago, or an hour ago, Bill Smithberg, who lives in Chicago as I do, and is the chairman of the board of Quaker Oats, was up here telling you a little bit about his career and a little bit about his company. And as I sat there in the back, I thought maybe I could tell you a Quaker Oats story that I think Bill Smithberg would probably appreciate. I am the son of an immigrant. As a matter of fact, I was conceived on the Trans-Siberian Express Railroad <laughs> as it went from Moscow to Vladivostok in December of 1940. My parents, as some of the other uh, co-honorees with me, were also escaping Europe. And my father was in the grain business in Poland and he basically traded carloads of grain. And one of his biggest customers in Poland was the Quaker Oats Company, to whom he sold grain in the 30s and 40s, or 30s. And the people from Quaker Oats, who used to buy from him, used to say to him, you know, Mr. Zell, you're really terrific. I wish we had more people as knowledgeable in the business as you are to help our company grow. And my father came to the United States in 1941, and he settled in Chicago, because Chicago was the center of the grain business. And the first thing he did was he went to Quaker Oats and said, I'm here. I need a job. And they looked at him and they said, gee, it's terrific, but you don't have a college education. We can't hire you. And so he went on to become a multimillionaire. <laughs> Why? Because nobody ever told him he couldn't. Mine is a, is a career of basically not accepting anybody else's rules. Mine is a career of, of living with and dealing with what I call the 11th commandment, 
And the 11th commandment is, thou shalt not take oneself seriously. <laughs> Laugh at yourself. Understand how funny you are, and even more important, how funny other people are. And laugh at them. There are no rules. I graduated from high school, and I went on to the University of Michigan. Uh, while I was there, uh, a friend of mine was living in a single-family house. And this guy and I were close friends, and he said the guy who owned the house was going to had bought the house next door. And he was going to rip it down and build an 18-unit apartment building. And I said to my friend, gee, why don't we see if we can con him into letting us manage it, and we'll get a free apartment out of the deal. And so we went at it. And somehow or other, we convinced this guy that because we were students, and because this was student housing, that we could make a difference, that we could rent them better and run it better because we were dealing with our peers. Whether that was true or not was irrelevant, he bought the deal. <laughs> with the result being that that's how I got into the real estate business. And subsequent to that, we built a large property management company and development company while I was an undergraduate and going through law school. People often ask me, how did you get through law school running this business? And I looked at them and I said, it was because of the business that I got through law school, but not financially. Law school, in case you don't know, is one of the great bores of life. <laughs> it's very hard to find anything that you do for three whole years that is as bad in the first six months as it is in the last six months. <laughs> Usually they tell you, it's going to get better. It did. I graduated. And I was confronted with kind of an interesting scenario. And the interesting scenario was I was living in Ann Arbor. I made $150,000 my senior year in law school. And the question was, I had a business. Why don't I just stay there? I had the world by the tail. I was 24 years old, and I had anything and everything. And somehow or other, I had to deal with the most important issue that I think has always governed my life and made me function. And that is, I had to find out how good I was. I had to find out what it meant to test my limits. Yeah, I was 24 years old. And I was a superstar. And I had all the money and anything else that a 24-year-old guy might want. But I had to find out how good I was. I almost, and if you excuse the religious reference, but I almost, in a religious sense, felt that I was put on this earth and I was given certain talents and certain abilities, just like every one of you have. And it was my responsibility to find out how good I was, how big a contribution I could make 
to society. Now, I therefore sold everything in Ann Arbor and moved to Chicago. And I sold it to this guy and I said, listen, I got to go find out if I can play with the big boys. When you get tired of this stuff, call me. And about two and a half years later, he called me, moved to Chicago and became my partner. And over the succeeding 20 years, the two of us have built a very large and very successful business, primarily turning right when everybody turned left, seeing opportunities where other people saw disasters, listening carefully, and ultimately coming to grips with our own sense of right and wrong, our own sense of positive and negative. In the early 70s, uh, they invented something called the Real Estate Investment Trust, in which billions of dollars were lost because people didn't understand what they were doing. They were investing money in real estate, but didn't understand the basics and the principles involved. Kept walking around like Chicken Little and saying, the end of the world is coming. And everybody said, Sam, you don't understand. And in the beginning of 1973, I said, we're going to stop doing anything. And we're going to spend all of the next six months building a property management company designed to deal with distressed situations. And everybody laughed at me. Most of them were sympathetic, but not all. And then beginning at the end of, 70, of 73 and running through the middle of 76, we bought every piece of real estate that we could. The real estate market in the United States was very depressed. The people who previously told me that I didn't understand and that growth was going to go nowhere but up now told me that I didn't understand and that the end of the world was coming and it was only a matter of days, if not hours. And we were very fortunate. We guessed right. And all of that real estate ultimately turned to gold and laid a foundation. And the foundation it laid was not a financial foundation, although that was one of the byproducts. What it really did was it convinced us once and for all that the only tune that you can listen to is the one beating inside your head. And when I did a river trip on the middle fork of the Salmon River, and I had a guide who ran the rudder of this raft, and just before we went into each rapid. He'd sit up on the back of the boat and he'd yell at everybody with our paddles ready, go for greatness. And if there's any message that I can deliver to you today, it's go for greatness. Listen to your own tune. Don't take yourself seriously. And come to grips with and understand that the only limitations that exist on what you do are self-imposed. Thank you and good luck.